It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. On today's episode, Liz and I talk with Greg Bear and take a deep dive into the topic of unconditional love in marriage. Greg shares helpful principles and insights about how real love can transform our marriage and our parenting, and how anger can destroy both of them. He also shares a practical blueprint for creating successful relationships with his five steps to real love. For 20 years, Greg Bear was a highly successful surgeon, teacher, civic leader, and entrepreneur. But despite all his accomplishments, wealth, and respect, Greg felt empty and unhappy. He became a drug addict and nearly committed suicide. In his subsequent search for genuine happiness, he learned some principles that have changed the lives of hundreds of thousands. After Dr. Bear retired from one of the busiest solo eye surgery practices in the United States, he began a new career of writing, teaching, and speaking. He has written 18 books about relationships, marriage, and parenting, and has produced all kinds of other trainings. On his reallove.com website, you'll find video coaching, webcasts, chat rooms, and much more. Dr. Bear and his wife, Donna, are the parents of seven children and live in Rome, Georgia. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Liz Hale, along with my friend and colleague, Professor Dr. Dave Schramm. We are dedicating our life's work to bringing you the best we have in valid marital research, along with a few tips and tools to help you create the marriage of your dreams. Today is a really special day for me, Dave, as I've said. We are pleased to introduce to you my dear friend and mentor, Dr. Greg Bear. In my 30-plus years of being a marriage and family therapist, he is the only expert author I've come across who dared do a deep dive into unconditional love. What it is, what it isn't, what does it sound like, what does it not sound like? And you may be surprised by his wise direction. There will be things in today's interview that you have never before considered. So welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection, Dr. Greg Bear. What a, what a hoot it is to see you, baby. This is fun. <laughs> it's so fun to have you. I'm looking forward to this already, Liz. <laughs> I mean, we and Greg and his wife Donna are my just dear friends. And um, I was telling Dave before we started, Greg, that your book, Real Love in Dating, changed my life. I chose a really good man because of your book and your direction, putting your worst foot forward, looking for someone who's also going to tell the truth about themselves and learn to better love. So I will be forever indebted to you, as you know. Love you, honey. May we, may we please start back at you with the definition of what is real love? I tell you, until we get it right, what love is, how are we going to ever find it? And, and it's defined in so many different ways. And this one is so simple and just guides everything we do. Real love, you could call it unconditional love, same thing, is when I care about your happiness without wanting anything from you in return. Oh, 
It's just so pure. And almost almost part of the definition is that it's the kind of love that has no expectations, no irritation, no disappointment, no anger. It's just clean and pure. It's just lovely. Some old guy 2,000 years ago, Paul, I think it was, you know, described it. And, and it's that. You know, whether people are Christian or not is irrelevant. I don't care. Uh, but the description is just so good. Love is patient and kind, never jealous or proud or rude. or You know it, how it goes. Uh, that, that's real love. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Great. Reminds me, um, actually, Steve Young, I don't know if you've seen the, the book that he wrote, uh, The Law of Love, where he kind of talks about this, being a, a healer and expecting uh, nothing in return. So I I, I love your definition um, already. So clearly, it's it's hard to give something to your partner that you've never had or experienced um, before. You say many of us have never experienced true, unconditional love, um, even in our childhood. Now, even if we came from you know a great home, really good home, are you saying that most love um, then is conditional then until we learn how to love unconditionally? And can you give us some examples of that? You're, you're so sweet to say most homes don't have unconditional love. <laughs> it's more like 99%. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really not blowing it up. I've spoken all over the world to literally hundreds of thousands of people and audiences just all over the place from China to here. And I've talked about unconditional love and invited people to come up and tell me after I described it, if they had been raised in an unconditionally loving home. So far, the total is five. Because, and the reason is, we all remember as children, actually many of us don't. Many of us don't remember our childhoods because we weren't raised with unconditional love. If, if I'm talking to you, Dave, right now, and you're telling me the story of your life, and I just do this, just, just roll my eyes and sigh. Do you know that I've had people swear to me that they were raised in loving homes, and I've just looked at them and just sighed and rolled my eyes and had him burst into tears. We were, it's the water we swim in, so we don't even realize that it's not healthy. But every time a child gets that feeling, and of course these children grow up to get married, you know, every time a child gets that, what they hear is, and it's there's no blaming, the parents didn't get it either, but what the child feels is, I don't love you. It's like a knife through the heart. And then these kids grow up to get married. You know why people get married? Oh, we say there's complicated reason. No, there isn't. We get married because we hope this other person will make us happy. That's why we get married. Well, if we come to the marriage without sufficient unconditional love, and they come without it, um, oops, we got a picnic with no food. <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. Indeed we do. And I... I um I love the thought of what you say that anytime I'm angry or disappointed I'm wrong. Oh. Whether it's in my marriage or whether uh, parenting or as with a niece or nephew. Can you say a little bit more about that? You you're going to hear me say this more than once and well, too bad. Um <laughs> it, it it's like it's like the ultimate emotional assault on another person to be angry at them. Because you're out of control. There's no way that you can be loving. I can't tell you how many parents have looked me in the face and, and said, well, I do get angry at my children, but that doesn't mean that I don't love them. And I just say, you're so cute. But yes, it does. <laughs> uh, because uh -huh. 
Try this. Anybody who wants to, who's listening, go home, get angry at a child and watch their face. It crushes them. And by the way, it crushes your spouse. I mean, just takes their heart and just stomps it flat. Stomps it flat, as we say, say here in Georgia. It, anger is just, it's, it's a horrifying thing. Not, not only do we feel the anger of the person who's being angry at us, we're, it triggers all the anger and the unloving messages we got all during our childhood. So I get angry at you now, and you feel all the anger from when you were two. It's a terrible thing that destroys marriages. Mm-hmm. And disappointment is just a second close. It's just it's similar. People say this all the time. Oh, I, I don't get angry at my spouse. And I look over at their spouse who's going. <laughs> because anger includes all the little euphemisms we have. You know, um, irritated, annoyed, frustrated, disappointed. It's, these are all just gradations. I mean, how much poison do you want in your drink? You know, it doesn't really matter how, if it's a lethal dose, it kills you. And disappointment just destroys a kid. And a partner, like you said. And a partner. Yeah. And when I'm angry and disappointed, it's all about me, the center of the universe, as you say, Greg. Every once in a blue moon, I still forget, and Donna will do something, and I get this look on my face, and she goes, you want to tell me about that look? (laughs) <laughs> no, because I'll be really embarrassed. <laughs> I'm going to change that look, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, when, when couples first come into marriage therapy, they feel somewhat hopeful, but mainly discouraged, as I think the three of us can understand. And what they wonder, is change really possible? And change is difficult. We're not going to deny that. But what stops us from making those behavioral changes, even when we know we ought to make them? Well, for one thing, Every time somebody speaks, they speak with all the pain of their lives. From their childhood right up to now, they speak with all that pain in the background. And so when they do, and then their partner attempts to talk to them, they also speak with all the pain of their lifetimes. You just as well take the two partners, let them go sit in the parking lot and have their parents and grandparents yelling at each other. They're not even there. So it's so complicated, and you've both seen this talking to to couples. One person starts talking, and the the other one interrupts with, yeah, but, and they start, and it just flies apart. So one thing, it's incredibly complicated, the issues. They appear to be. They're not. It's all about love. And then the second thing is that really reaching a healed marriage takes a long time. And everybody wants a quick fix now. I talk to couples and parents all over the world, and they say, all right, so help me with my child with ADHD. And what they want is the five steps uh, with little color illustrations and emojis to, you know, fix their child. Yeah, that's what they want in their marriages, too. So it's complicated, and they want a quick fix. They're kind of doomed most of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there is hope. And it starts with understanding what love is, what we're missing. Yeah. And that's that's the key, right? Is that the one thing that will change a marriage around quickly? Well, long term, it's love that changes it. Yeah. The thing that will change a marriage immediately, if, if people will listen, is there's no anger or any of its derivations. No disappointment, no nothing. Now, people say, well, but sometimes I just get angry. 
Yeah, or they do the anger is natural, and I say, yeah, so is snake venom. Um, you can get angry. You can't stop that. But you can take five steps to help eliminate anger in your marriage. The first step is be quiet. If people can't remember that, I say, just remember, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a single time that I've ever spoken to Donna, my wife, when I was irritated, when it's gone well. And if anybody can, oh, please send me an email. And yeah. I'll, just tell you that I'll just tell you you're lying. Yeah. So the, the first one is be quiet. Uh, and the next one is be wrong. Hmm. Whenever we're irritated, we're blaming our anger every time on the other person. If I'm angry at you, Dave, I'm, I'm saying you caused my anger. Oh, no. No, 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 you didn't. So, so be wrong means tell the truth about yourself. If I'm irritated, I was so depleted of unconditional love, or I got so little, you know, before I came to the marriage, all you had to do was breathe on me. And that was enough to trigger me. So shut up. Be wrong. Don't you tell me what your partner did. When couples come here and they say, my husband, I go, mm -mm. No, you get to tell the truth about you, not him. Yeah. Only you. Mm. So be, be quiet, be wrong, then feel love. Now, this is a tricky one because mm. feel love means remember that you're loved. Well, what if you've never been unconditionally loved? Yeah, that's the rub, which is brings us to number four, which is find love. Do you know that I can't, I can't count how many great big men – uh, have sat in my living room, and as they were talking and blah, 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 with their wife, and I've just gotten up out of my chair and sat in their lap and hugged them and kissed their eyelids. These are great, big, hulking men who then burst into tears. And I say to them, or I don't have to do all that. Sometimes I'll just sit touching them knee to knee and look them in the eye and say, how many, how many times were you asked by either parent, tell me how you are doing? And again, they just burst into tears. Nobody's ever asked them. All of our interactions almost are transactional. Men especially, if they speak to each other, there's a purpose there's always an agenda, always. If a guy says something to you, he expects something in return, an answer, solution of a problem, something. There's never just a, well, Dave, tell me, how are you? Mm -hmm. I was in church one day and walked up to a 70-year-old guy, took his face in my hands and said, Paul, tell me how you're doing. Mm -hmm. And he cried and said, first time I've ever been asked that. Wow. 70 years old. So we ha we can't solve a marriage without having a mentor. I call them wise men. doesn't really matter. It's just a word I use. It just means people who are wise enough to see you and love you no matter what. In other words, unconditionally. And so what I do is I function as a wise man to either or both of the people. And then I help them find a wise person to their own. Find a friend that you've never taken a risk with, but you like, and doesn't seem agitated and angry. And just tell them something about yourself. For example, um, 
go up to your friend and instead of saying, my wife is a terrible person because she blah, 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 tell your friend how, what a selfish pig you are in your marriage. And watch what happens. And you know what happens a lot of the time is most of us have never had the chance to accept somebody unconditionally. We haven't because nobody tells the truth. Who has ever come up to you and without being asked said, I can be such a jerk? No. Well, they always talk about somebody else. We need to practice telling the truth about ourselves with people, feel their love, and then we can do number three with our partner, which is remember that love. See? with Until you've got it, you can't give it to your partner. It's not possible. So the he- healing just has to happen. Now, the last step is be loving. You know, you can do a loving act for your partner, but if you haven't done the first four, there isn't a chance in this world you're going to do an unconditionally loving mm-hmm. act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might pretend to go get yeah. flowers, but yeah. if you go get flowers and you're still irritated, I think she's going to notice. Yeah. <laughs> it comes yeah, through, I, doesn't it? I know she is. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Um, I didn't mean to go on a monologue, but, it, but I'm telling you, it's anger, anger, and love. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That's powerful. Wow. We'll be right back after this brief message. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're back. Well, let's dive right in. And I mean, Greg, you talk about so this love, this anger, this unconditional love. I mean, is that is that the reason why our partners sometimes are, are critical and angry and unfaithful, um, as well as lie and withdraw? Is that is that the the reason? Bless your heart. It's the reason for every dang bad thing on earth. So. If you want to really stop being angry, I told you, we got to find a mentor. But first thing you remember is, has anger ever worked? And you're going to try it again. Okay, so it's never worked. That's that's one. And number two is, every single person we interact with pretty much is starving for unconditional love. They are. It's as though they're drowning. In the middle of the, you've seen, have you ever seen somebody drown? I have. I used to be a lifeguard. And it's a really ugly event. I mean, they're just thrashing, kicking. They're in pain. They're terrified. Now, what if we took a brief video of that drowning person? Let's say it's you. You're drowning. You're thrashing and kicking. And we edit out the water. You're going to look pretty crazy. And what I'm here to say is every single person in a marriage who's behaving badly, having affairs, all of that stuff, 
is just drowning and we don't see the water. It's not about us. So when people have affairs and their partner comes in all weeping and I'm going, honey, you're both in pain. He just expressed his pain that way and you express your pain in other ways. And one isn't worse than another. One's more dramatic than the other, yes. But you're both in pain and the pain is the issue not the infidelity. The infidelity is just a symptom. It's the drug, right? When we're in pain, we'll use anything. I learned as a lifeguard, the last thing you do is go jump in the water with them because they'll drown you. And when we're drowning, we'll we'll grab a hold of anything to help us survive. So it might be drugs, it might be alcohol, it might be porn, it might be video games, it might be infidelity. Who cares? It's all just pain relief. Mm-hmm. From from not having that that need met, right? We're born with this longing for belonging, this craving for connection, and when we don't have that, it feels like it's this this result of this deep unmet need that will go do anything to to have that need met. That that need is painful. It's not just inconvenient. It's not like the, you missed a meal. No. It's a pain that just consumes you. And so you react to that pain all the time. Somebody who's drowning is not thinking about what they're going to have for lunch. It completely occupies them. And I look at two drowning people in a marriage and go, I just tell them, neither of you had any chance. So essentially, we're going to start over. And they say, well, we need to learn how to love each other. Oh, no, that's down the road. We need to learn to avoid anger. But... In the short term, you need to find somebody who can unconditionally love you. And in the beginning, it will not be your partner. Each other. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. It, I, I remember taking to you, Greg, this belief. I said, you know, all my, all my couples lately are saying they're pretty sure both people are saying, I know I married, I made a mistake. I married the wrong person. And you always have this great comeback. Well, they absolutely married the wrong person. I mean, <laughs> explain that you were the wrong person to start with because you didn't have unconditional love and then you came to the marriage and you insisted you didn't realize it because we're we're all filled with these pheromones and chemicals and we're in love because we're equally trading with each other i'm giving you the the imitation of love that you like maybe praise or whatever it is and and you're giving me a sense of power or importance or value and we exchange that so fluidly and so abundantly we call that falling in love because we found the right person to trade with so yes we did marry the wrong person but we were the wrong person yeah and so did our partner (laughs) most marriages are doomed by about age four long before they met and there's no sense of doom and gloom here. There's just a different solution than is usually prescribed. I love also how you say pain makes us insane. I use that often in marriage therapy. <sighs> so true. Yeah. I, there have been times I've said to Donna, look, I'm not feeling good. I'm sick. I have a headache. Don't listen to it, any words I speak in case I do speak. Don't listen to me. <laughs> it's, it's not just us as the adults that are angry, critical, defiant, or who lie and withdraw. It's also our kiddos. And some of these kids are then classified as the problem kids, right? But according to you, real love, real love and parenting, what is the very thing that they're missing from their parents? I have 
I get called all over the world by parents who say, can you help me with this child? And uniformly, I say, no, but I can help you with you because it's not a child problem. Um, and we like to label kids so that we don't have to take responsibility. Now, I'm not saying that some of these disorders don't exist. I'm not. But like ADHD, let's take that. I can't tell you how many kids I've worked with with ADHD. And in the end, when they feel sufficiently unconditionally loved by their parents, I have yet to see one continue with that label. There was a pediatrician, wise old pediatrician, many years ago, and he wrote a book about this. And on the left side of the book, he wrote all the symptoms of ADHD. It's quite a list. On the right-hand side, he wrote all the lists, or all the symptoms of people, children, who are in either physical or, no, actually, it was just physical, physical pain. The lists were the same. Kids with ADHD are just in pain. And many ADHD experts who don't use medication say, they're not abnormal. They're normal kids reacting to painful environments. And when you introduce love into the equation, they just completely change. I've seen children with labels of on the spectrum, ADHD, all the, you know, little alphabet soup things that we give them. And when the parents learn to love them, those things go away. Now, are there some organic problems? Sure. But 90 plus percent of them go away. We we need love like we need air. That's powerful. You've probably had parents say to you, Greg, and, and they certainly have said to me kind of in a rebuff, oh, but I do love my kids, right? They're almost a little, a little offended that I would suggest we're loving parenting or the ridiculously effective parenting training that you have. Um, I'm, I'm tough on them. I want them to succeed. That's how I show I love them. What do you offer these parents who and say, tell oh, them, but it is love? I tell them, oh, you little sweetheart. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that you love them as well as you know how. But then I start to describe some scenarios from their childhood where their parents demonstrated controlling, disappointment, irritation, praise, all these things to control the kid. And they start to weep. And I say, and that's how I know that you're not unconditionally loving your child because you don't feel unconditionally loved. Are you doing your best? Yes. There's no, there are no villains in these stories. We're not blaming it. Blaming is boring. You're doing your best, but make your best better. And so I teach the parents how to unconditionally love their kids. And that's what's in the ridiculously effective parenting brain. Oh, yeah, that's great. What about expectations, um, Greg? It's so hard not to have them, but you really warn us against this. Please share with us more about what you mean by that. Expectations are getting right to the edge of the cliff and hoping that you're going to live as you walk. <laughs> They're death. <laughs> because what happens is, you. it sounds good, doesn't, doesn't it? The children will live up to your expectations, but in 99 plus percent of the cases, if you express an expectation to a child and they don't fill it, watch the face of the parent. There's the little look of disappointment. That's all it takes. It's so subtle. Those of you who are not seeing my picture, just a slight change in your face. And the child, it's like they've been stabbed. So expectations just set kids up to feel not loved. And, and then people say to me, well, if I don't have expectations, they won't do the right thing. 
Oh, silly you. What I teach parents to do is to love them unconditionally and imagine this, teach them what is right. And if you love them and teach them repeatedly, especially when, they, especially when they're young, oh, my goodness, it, they want to do the right thing. You know why? Because they're good kids. Mm. That's why. Mm-hmm. I saw a girl, 17-year-old girl, and, and I'd seen her for a couple of I'd seen her mother for a couple of years. And this girl was in every imaginable kind of trouble and, of course, causing trouble for the parents' marriage. Um, every behavior you can think of, every addiction, sexual behavior, she was doing those things. And rebellious and looked at me like, go ahead, do your best. I dare you. <laughs> and I just went over and sat on the couch next to her and held her hand. That's all. What are you doing? She said, and I said, can't you see? <laughs> I just sat and held her hand and loved her for, oh, I suppose a year. Um, this girl's now going to a major university. Her SAT scores went from, oh, let's call it pathetic, um, to the 99th percentile from being loved. All of her, I didn't ever once say don't anything. Everybody hearing this, I never told her not to do something. She gave up all of her behaviors. Why? She didn't need them. When children don't need bad behaviors to fill this emptiness, they behave well. And it's the same in marriages. If I love my partner and she feels loved, why would she ever do anything but respect, love, and adore me? And why would I not feel the same toward her? We do. Oh, yeah, sometimes I'm stupid, and I'm always the one that forgets, but uh, this is how I learn. Yeah. And expectations in marriage then? Greg, will you say something about that, why that is? The the instant I place an expectation on my partner, what I'm saying is, I want you to be different from me. No, I love her, and I make requests. I don't dump expectations on her. If I have a request, I... Speak it. Here's what I would like. And then she either says yes or no. And I'm not disappointed because I didn't have an expectation. I love her freely. And she can feel it and she loves it. So do I. Ah. So requests. Requests are different than expectations. I make a request, but I let go of any expectation. You know, I, I, I hear this a lot. People say, well, I made a request of my partner and then they got mad. And I go, Ah, you want me to mimic your tone of voice that you used at the time? And I mimic it, and their partner goes, were you there? (laughs) (laughs) You heard me. (laughs) Expectations and disappointments can look identical until you don't get what you want. You can be positive you're making a request, but if the other person says no and you feel disappointed, ah, you just gave yourself away. Expectations are always associated with disappointment. Yeah. Let's chat briefly, please, about getting and protecting behaviors that you talk so much about in all of your real love books, real love in parenting, real love in marriage, real love in dating, just to name a few. We do these actions without any thought, don't we? And as if they're just on automatic pilot. How many times have you talked to your spouse and they just, or how many times have you done it? And they just blow up or run into their room and isolate themselves or, and the reaction is boom, it's like a bullet being shot. It's an involuntary reaction to what? Pain again. And it's the pain of not feeling loved. 
I must have done something if my partner reacts like that to just trigger a lifetime of pain and boom, off goes the shot. Once we're in pain, that's one thing we cannot tolerate. We can tolerate a lot of things, incongruities, confusion, but not pain. We will move. And so what do we do to treat our pain? Oh, whatever's at hand or whatever we learned. It might be anger is a really popular one. Actually, people pleasing is a real common reaction to pain. Um, drinking, alcohol, drugs, sex, porn, name a thing that makes people feel better temporarily. And I just look at them all and go, mm, pain reduction. Or what in the books I call getting, meaning getting imitation love, or protecting, protecting ourselves from pain. It's just all pain reduction. And it explains all the things that destroy marriages. It's not finances. It's the arguments over finances. It's never the kids. It's the lack of love between the two parents and the lack of love that the kids feel. And they're just erupting in this pain reduction. Pain reduction can get pretty dramatic hmm. wow man like drowning right that's yeah. pretty dramatic drowning yeah. without water it makes such a good analogy when you're drowning honey that's all there is nobody makes a rational decision when they're drowning we don't our partners don't our children don't and we just don't see the water we weren't there when they were wounded as little children we can't visualize it now here's the crazy part we don't remember our own wounding when we were kids the worst wounding, and you guys know this working in the field, they've demonstrated you know, neuroplasticity studies, neurophysiology, that the worst wounding of a child is from birth to age four. We don't even remember those wounds. So here we are walking around reacting to wounds we don't even recall. So we could, you know, recall the wounds. We could do hypnotherapy. We could dredge them all up. Or we could just get loved and heal them. Hmm. Works way better. Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. Great. I love those five five steps to go. Can you rehearse those uh, for our listeners again? Those those five mm -hmm. steps. So if you get angry, your first step is, and I can't emphasize this first one too much. You're going to be, anger is an involuntary reaction. It is. That is not your fault. You get triggered. Boom. You go to get angry. And if, if you go to speak to your partner while you're angry, Go away. Shut up. Be quiet is the first step. Don't say it. I'll come in the house and I want to say this something to Donna and she can even sometimes tell. I'm just going. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So then what do I do? I take step two. How is it my mistake? Be wrong. Be quiet. Be wrong. I can always find how I was wrong. I was seeing it wrong. I was being unloving. Just being angry is wrong. Um, third step, feel loved. I have people in my life who love me no matter what. So if I can sit, sometimes I physically put my hand on my chest and remember the look, the tone, the touch of those people. And, and that can include God. If I feel loved by people and God, my anger goes away because it was the lack of love that caused it in the first place. And now I can go and talk to Donna and I'm fine. The next step is get loved. So people who have been practicing doing this, if they're angry at their partner, they'll call their mentor, friend, whatever, and say, I'm being a real horse's butt. C can you listen to me for a bit? 
And just in the act of expressing how I'm wrong to a loving person, they love me, the anger goes away. It's so cool. And then if you want to put a cherry on top of the ice cream sundae, then you do something loving. For absolutely no reason, go out in the backyard and pick dandelions, arrange them in a glass container of some kind in the poor fashion that guys do, and go, here, honey, which you will appreciate way better than a dozen roses after you have expressed your anger. True. True, true, true. So be quiet. Uh, be wrong, feel loved, get loved, and be loving. If we could do those, uh, marriages won't fall apart. Yeah. They don't. Man, this is this has been awesome, Greg. This really has. So uh, just eye-opening, I guess, yeah, for me. This has been really helpful. Well, it's, it's very fun for me. Uh, by the time people come to see me, usually they've been everywhere. And they're kind of like at the end of the rope. Uh, it is so fun to watch people's faces just soften when they realize my partner's not doing anything to me. My partner's in pain. I'll take them by the hand and take them over to their partner and put their face next to their partner's face and say, he's in pain, honey. He's not doing anything to you. Oh, and then the tears fall and it's just, it's a, it's a riot. Beautiful, isn't it? We, we like to ask all of our guests this one question, Dr. Greg, and that is, um, what do you think is the key element, if you had to choose one, of a stronger marriage connection? <laughs> Hands down, no kidding. There isn't anything else. It's unconditional love, or what I call real love. It's not flowers. It's not compliments. It's not how you look. It's not how you earn a living. It's me loving my partner without wanting anything in return. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't make requests. Of course I can. Mm -hmm. No, it's I don't expect anything in return. Oh, then that turns everything my partner does into Christmas. Yeah. It's Every day is like Christmas. In fact, when Christmas arrives in this house, you couldn't tell any difference. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, well that is great. <laughs> Uh, well, Dr. Dr. Bear, where can our listeners go for more information? I, I mean, I, I can know. I know people are listening right now. They're like, man, this is, this is good stuff. Where can they go for the resources you offer? And by the way, you're so generous uh, with your free reports, such as the, the real love tips, the five guaranteed steps to make um, uh, to a marriage you'll love. So thank you for that in advance. So tell us where people can go for more information about you and your resources. You can, people can go to real love one word dot com uh, all the information on there and i'm talking thousands of pages of information and hundreds of videos all free you can go to real love parents.com an absolute gold mine of how to i hesitate to say turn your children around it's really turning you around and then your children follow so real love.com and real love parents.com wow Okay, that's great. We'll put those in the, in the show notes for our listeners. So if you need Thanks. to resources, get to back uh, to that. You can check out that website and the amazing resources. I know I am, um, Liz. This has been a very helpful discussion. Before we let you go, though, we do like to ask all of our listeners, just a takeaway of the, or all of our guests, a takeaway of the day, uh, Dr. Barrow, if you, and I, and I know what you're going to say, but I want you to say it. <laughs> if you have one message for, for our listeners, what would that be? 
Well, it's it's still real love, and it's still no anger, but there's one little addition. Don't be satisfied with your marriage being okay. You know, that's the, the worst answer I hear. How's your marriage? Okay, and I think, oh, you're dead. Because you're satisfied with that lack of unconditional love, but it's not gotten b- bad enough that you're willing to do anything about it. So you just live in this limbo, this sort of hellish satisfaction that's just awful. Don't be satisfied with okay. You want rich, abundant, and you get that as you find unconditional love and share it with your partner. It's guaranteed. Man, so, so good. Oh, man. Liz, Liz, what are you taking mm-hmm. away from today? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I'm always a fan of that. Not a fan of pain, but... <clears throat> recognizing all the various drugs that there are and it's all about pain it's all that pain makes us insane pain makes us do things we normally wouldn't do if we were filled up with love yeah oh i love that what about your takeaway dave what do you think you know man my my mind is just erasing there's been so much that i've just loved it's reminded me often i will say to couples um it's reactions that wreck relationships it's these these hurtful reactions this anger that you were talking about dr bear that, uh, that wreck relationships. And then I, I say, you know, we can either choose to be a first responder, and I talk about first responders and vital signs and, and, and helping people, you know, live and be filled up, uh, either being a uh, first responder or a nuclear reactor when we feel this stress and this, this anger. And so I love just that now I'm just going to add that, man, respond with, with that love, that unconditional that real love. So Dr. Bear, I cannot thank you enough for taking time to join us today to share um, such wonderful principles and then your resources as well. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you both. This has been a delight. Likewise. And remember, dear listeners, it's the small things that create a stronger marriage connection. We'll see you next time. Take care. We'll see you. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, do us a favor and take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel, where you can watch this and every episode of the show. When you hit the like button and leave a comment, your feedback helps us improve the show. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You can also follow and connect with us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. Be sure to share with us what topics you want us to explore or what you loved about today's episode. If you want even more resources to improve your relationship connection, visit our website at strongermarriage.org, where you'll find free workshops, webinars, relationship surveys, and more. Each episode of Stronger Marriage Connection is hosted and sponsored by the Utah Marriage Commission at Utah State University. And finally, a big thanks to our producers Rex Polanis and Alexis Alcott and the team at Utah State University. And you, our audience, you make this show possible. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.